Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome, everyone, to another great episode of Reconsider, part of the Agora Podcast Network, where we don't do the thinking for you. And what we're going to be talking about today is a request from a listener. We're going to talk about the structure of parties in the United States politics and why they are that way and not a different way. And we're looking forward to it. Now, before we get into it, some uh, normal course housekeeping. Um, Remember, we are on the social medias, Twitter, Facebook, if you want to follow us there, we will throw up interesting news items, obviously post when we have a new podcast or blog out, and sometimes we'll even get into a 280-character debate with people because <laughs> those extra 140 characters are really going to make a difference now, right? They're going to, yeah, they're going to revolutionize how we debate on the internet. Oh, Twitter. If social media isn't sort of your thing, but uh, you still want to support the show, we would really appreciate it. Every every dollar that we get from Patreon, which is where you can donate to the show, patreon.com slash reconsider, goes to our marketing spend. So we're using 100% of it right now to get the reconsider message further out there. We think reasonable political debate and dialogue is not only possible, but... Um, well, maybe not easy, but it's it's something that anyone can engage in with the right tools, and we want to get those tools out to as many people as possible. So that's patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, slash reconsider. And if you love our show, please do leave a review on your favorite podcatcher. We really enjoy reading those. They're a lot of fun, and they help us get out to more people. And since you've heard this a bunch of times before, we're going to keep it short and move on to the big show. So... What's going on with the United States and why do we have a two-party system? Now, at first thought, it really seems like we kind of have two ways of thinking about U.S. politics, that we've got these two fairly homogenous parties, the Republicans who are right-wing and the Democrats who are left-wing, and they have this stable platform and everyone's sort of on board with it. So if you were to ask the question, what do Republicans think or what do Democrats think about a given issue, you probably feel like you have a reliable answer. But ah, it's more complicated. Yeah, while a party tends to have a platform and Congress will vote the party line more often, uh, more often than not, 
most people who consistently vote um, one party or another actually have varying views. And Eric, this is something that you've covered in depth in your book, Wedged. If y'all haven't checked it out, it's, it's a really exciting read. It's not always as easy to know what someone thinks. What are a few examples, Eric, that you highlight in your book that maybe people think are really cut and dry, right and left, but actually there's more agreement than is generally assumed? Yeah, good question. I mean, a, a few that we can think of is there are pro-gun Democrats. Uh, Bernie Sanders actually got some flack for being fairly pro-gun because he's from Vermont, where there are a bunch of Democrats who want like universal basic income and also the right to bear arms. You have religious Democrats, so people who are who tend to lean a little bit more towards, say, the pro-life side. Um, you've got Republicans who are very socially moderate. You have a lot who are pro-gay marriage. Uh, Republicans, for example, are actually highly split on how to deal with both legal and illegal immigration. Um, there's not like unif- unity within the voting bloc that are Republicans. Uh, you have Democrats pretty split on how to handle the free market. You know, so should should we be trying to enable businesses to add more jobs and let that run wild? Or should we be, you know, putting more regulation on business and curtailing them more, et cetera? We can see all sorts of stuff. And and in reality, each of these parties is a coalition of people who have some pretty varied views uh, that have sort of been stuffed into this box that said, like, this is going to be the thing that you're voting for, even though it doesn't really represent you all that well, just because it's it's the least bad option for you right now. And Pew put out, I've got a link to it in the show notes here, an amazing political topography study that shows that there are at least four distinct large co- uh, groups within each party that all think some pretty different stuff and, and disagree internally quite a bit. Yeah, so the takeaway from this is political views in the U.S. are actually far more varied than most people think, but they do get shoved into these single categories and you get these wedged issues or these wedge issues that Eric talked about in length in his book because politicians and leaders of each party need to drum up as much general support as possible for the platform despite the variety of opinions. So today, we are asking the question, why is it this way? How did it become this way? And how is it done differently in other countries? Yeah, so there are alternatives to the Republicans and Democrats, and, and people talk about them a lot. People want a moderate candidate or an independent candidate or a green candidate or a socialist or a libertarian. And they run, you know, a lot of them run, and then they just straight up don't get elected. And there's a reason why these things are indeed structural. So if there's mystery to you as to why the United States is only two parties and other countries often have many more than two, you're going to learn. The basics of it, or the most fundamental part of why we have two parties, isn't just convention or history. It's how we vote. So in particular for Congress or the Senate, the way we vote is that there's a single district. So it's either your congressional district or in the case of Senate, your state. And with each election, you're voting for a single person to represent that entire district rather than multiple people. So there can only be one winner. And also, you're voting only once. And that sounds weird. People are like, voting twice, that's that's fraud. But we'll talk about other ways that you can vote twice fairly. But you vote, you cast your vote only for that one person, as opposed to, for example, having a runoff or ranking people. This is called first past the post voting. And it means that 
everyone cast their vote once, and the person who comes out of the mess with the most votes wins. Doesn't matter if they get anywhere close to a majority, just has to be the most. And when you only vote once, you have to do it that way, because otherwise, if you don't get to a majority, well, too bad, nobody is the representative. So that's how we do it, and that is what leads to a two-party system, and we'll explain why in a moment. Here's why it devolves into a two-party system fundamentally. The basics of this are covered by Duverger's Law, which you can Wikipedia and I'll have linked. It is Duverger was a political scientist who more or less figured out that any single district, single representative, first-past-the-post system will devolve into two parties, and here's why. Think, for example, about the 2016 election. Let's say you didn't like Trump or Clinton all that much, which was a lot of Americans. You thought, maybe I would love to vote for some independent candidate to represent this district, this district being the entire United States, as it turns out. But I would be throwing my vote away. If I vote for Gary Johnson or Jill Stein or someone else, I'm throwing my vote away. And that is true. And that is because there are two dominant parties. And so a third can't break in. But why are there two dominant parties in the first place? It hasn't actually been the case that the United States has just always had these two parties and they've been the same. Parties have risen and fallen. There were the Federalists, the Anti-Federalists, the Democratic Republicans, um, in the 1960s, you had this breakaway group of, in the South called the Dixiecrats, who were tired of the Democrats being so progressive uh, about civil rights. And they formed a third party because they didn't find anyone who represented them. But here's what happens. When you have three people who are running for a single district, what happens is the when you can get two of them to come together, two of these parties to come together and form a shaky coalition, they will beat that third party who's left out in the cold every time. So what happens is when you try when a party ends up splitting in the United States into two parties, you end up having a total reformation of the system that goes back into two parties because what's happening is that with this fractured landscape, the parties are scrambling to scoop up the available votes from that third party because that's the place that they can reach out to. So if you have three, any two of them have a pressure to get together because there's a pressure to win. You don't want to be left out in the cold. Game theory says team up with someone and sort of uh, water down your platform in order to win as opposed to keep your platform strong and clear and not build the coalition. So that drive to build coalitions in order to be the biggest vote getter in that one uh, in that one ballot casting is what drives us down to two parties. Obviously not one because at that point you have a disagreement and, and someone else will actually run against them because you still want competition. Two is the number you get from first past the post. So you may ask if you have some familiarity with, say, Great Britain's parliamentary system, why didn't the U.S. inherit that? It was... A little different back then to the extent that the monarch certainly had more influence in the government than than it does today. But the U.S. is distinct, and it does not have a parliamentary system. Why not? A lot of this stems from the circumstances of the founding of the United States. A lot of people are familiar with the Revolutionary War, lasted, you know, several years, and then afterwards, something, 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 United States, right? But there's actually... A lot that went into forming the rules of the game 
And that all came after the Revolutionary War ended. And one of the basic issues was, okay, do we have a loose confederation that de-emphasizes centralized authority and places more power in the hands of the states? Or do we have a more centralized authority that places more power in the hands of the central government? And you might imagine that the uh, less populous states were more in favor of a loose confederation that placed more power in the states because they would get fewer representational votes if it was just one for one and that's it. And that's where a lot of the structure of the United States government comes from. Since a truly proportional system would have given more power to more populous areas, um, the states pushed for uh, some sort of balance between you know, a confederation and uh, a centralized government. And it is, with a constitution, more on the side of a centralized government. But basically, the less populous states were trying to prevent a tyranny of the majority. The idea that if they signed up and didn't have proper checks on the more populous areas of the country that whatever they wanted was always going to get voted down if it happened to be that more populous areas disagreed with them or had a different perspective. So the Senate in particular is very undemocratic in the sense that democracies are you know, about direct proportional representational voting. But again, this is for a reason, to give smaller states some degree of power, even if it's disproportionate. Interesting note, the U.S. did not directly elect senators until, I think it was 1913, when the 17th Amendment was passed. Before that, the House of Representatives appointed senators, so it was even less direct. Um, the U.S. still believe it, that, believed that it needed some sort of strong executive for stuff like foreign policy. Um, but ultimately, this was the balance that was created, and it sort of uh, created the framework for the first past the post becoming more prevalent. The founding fathers of the United States didn't imagine that there would be parties, which was kind of an historical oversight on their part. But what they figured was that, you know, from each district, there'd be some someone, in their, in their case, a dude, because uh, that's how it worked back then, that would be respected by the community and that person, everyone would go, this person, they should definitely represent us in DC. We trust them to do what we want. We'll just vote for that person. And you'd have some number of people in DC who show up and talk about things like adults and gentlemen and, and figure something out and it's gonna be great. And of course, the moment Washington left office, the system devolved into a permanent two-party system that if you listen to our piece on the Electoral College, uh, you'll see that the lack of planning for parties to emerge really screwed up even how just how we vote for president. So because they weren't thinking about how many parties might arise, they didn't plan for uh, a system that would you know have parties in the first place. And that's why there's no answer to the question of like, you know, would, did they think two parties would be bad? Would, did, would they have wanted more? Who knows, right? Because they just didn't look into it. Now, so that's, that's what the United States ended up with. If we look around to many of our peer countries, almost everyone has a very different system from what we do. The British were obviously very influential, so they, the parliamentary system is pretty popular. But there are actually a whole lot of ways of doing things that will help you get to having a multi-party system. And we'll talk about what 
a multi-party system in the U.S. might mean later. So we want to run you through a few of the countries that represent a few of these different ways of doing things. One of them is Germany. So Germany uh, looks a lot like the United States in some ways. It's a federal republic, so you have states that have some real power, not just provinces that are commanded by the capital. It has a Bundestag, which is their version of a parliament. So it's actually more like a parliament than a congress. And we'll talk about why in a second here. The Germans have a chancellor who is the head of government uh, and is in charge of things like foreign policy. And they technically have a president who is head of state, uh, but they have very limited power. They can only temporarily veto laws and kick stuff over to the Supreme Court to review. But we generally think of German politics as being the Bundestag, which is their parliament and the chancellor. Now, how does the Bundestag get elected? Well, what happens is everyone votes twice at the same time. So Germany is divided into, right now, 299 districts that have two mandates. And mandates are essentially seats. Um, one of those mandates is a vote for a person, much like in the United States. So you have a first-past-the-post single vote uh, to cast a ballot for a person who's going to represent you. That person typically happens to be part of a party. But you have a second vote as well, and your second vote is not for a person, but for a party. What happens is the different parties post their lists of people that they want to represent the country as a whole in government, and you can your second vote goes to that list. And uh, there's some very, very complicated math, but they essentially take the number of votes for different lists, they throw it through an algorithm, and that pops out the number of seats that they get. It's roughly proportional. Uh, one of the things that's different about it is that if you get less than 5% of the vote in the list system, you don't get seated unless you're a small regional party or ethnic minority party, at which point you do get seated. Again, it's complicated. But the main part here that's interesting is this list system. And some countries use all list uh, no direct districts, so Israel is a good example of this. But what the list system means is that let's imagine you know you've you've migrated the United States over. You've got Republicans, Democrats, Green Party, Libertarian, etc. Let's say that you wanted to vote for the Green Party in the United States. It would be a wasted vote. You'd be saying, "Look, they're not going to win. It's going to be a Republican or a Democrat, so I had better vote for one of them." But the Green Party can get seated with just 6% of the vote overall. So it makes more sense to vote for them if you really want them seated. And in fact, the Green Party does get seated in the Bundestag. So what happens is people have an incentive, a different incentive, to vote for these smaller parties because they know that they'll get some representation in the Bundestag. So people do vote for them. So this means that a whole lot more parties show up to the Bundestag. And like a number of other parliamentary type systems, they often have to form coalitions in order to govern. There are some downsides to this, of course. One of them is that uh, it can be hard to form coalitions. So Angela Merkel right now is having a lot of trouble doing that because the uh, alternative for Deutschland, AFD party, ended up getting a big chunk of the vote from the right wing. And the left wing didn't have enough votes either to be able to form a government. She's working on that right now. Keep the AFD example in mind because we're going to come back to it when we talk about the United States. So if we move a little further south, there is France, and they have yet a, another system of governance. Um, they have a national assembly that's elected in single-seat districts, but there's many of them. There's about 
there's 577, so these are small districts. And an important distinction in the French system is that there are, they have a two-round voting system. So there's a runoff in the elections. There's round one, everyone votes, maybe between four candidates. And then there's two that come out with most votes, and they compete head-to-head -head in the next round. Um, the president is elected this way. Top two vote-getters go to runoff. The Senate is indirectly elected. Kind of like the U.S. before 1913, people will elect delegates who then form colleges to select the senators. France today has something like six major parties and some independent groups, uh, in part thanks to how this voting system with the runoff is structured. It, it, it creates different incentives and allows a somewhat more diverse or at least varied group of political parties to stand more of a chance in getting into or having a seat in government. So you can think as an analogy, for example, if you think of a very left-wing or right-wing part of the United States, you know, the Republican is going to do, the Republicans are just going to win in the right-wing part. The Democrats often don't even run um, in a very right-wing part. So it's just, you know, you really have no choice once the primary is over. You're going to get a Republican where... If you had a runoff system, what you could actually more easily do is get um, a secondary party of some sort into the game. So maybe a different form of right-wing government, right? Like a fiscal right-wing or social right-wing or libertarian would be able to run and then at least be able to get to that second round. And so what this means is that uh, you can vote for someone who's not part of the top two in the hopes that if, if you know, those two big parties, if one of them say the Democrats doesn't really stand a chance, you can still vote for someone like a libertarian or something else that will go on to the next round. So in these parts of the country that aren't just your sort of typical moderate right, moderate left split, you've got a lot more opportunity to bring in a lot more players in the game. So next up on our list of countries we're exploring is the European country that really doesn't want to consider itself part of Europe, the United Kingdom. Uh, so they still have a queen, a monarch, doesn't do much right now, used to. Gradually over time, the aristocracy and subsequently the parliamentary part of the pol parliamentary monarchy took more and more power away from the monarch. Um, but it's still there as a head of state again, and then there's a prime minister elected by the parties that is head of government. That is a distinction that, that doesn't exist in the United States because the president is both head of state and head of government. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Interestingly, uh, there is no 
codified constitution like the United States has. West, the Westminster system is made up of stuff like lots of individual statutes that have accumulated over time. In the UK, the uh, candidates are selected by the party. There is no primary like there is in the U.S., like the U.S., however, they have a first-past-the-post district system, um, but it just kind of happens to be the case that there are still multiple parties, and this is something that uh, neither of us have really fully figured out why yet, uh, so it's kind of an outstanding question that we want to learn a little bit more about. If you know, please write us. Yeah, the interesting thing is that Duverger's Law would say that since they vote on candidates just like the United States, you would ultimately have two parties. And within England, at least, you, you have three. The third is the uh, Liberal Democratic Party. And so they have a, a system where they have you know, two very stable, large parties that you'd expect. Uh, but then this kind of like surprise third that hangs on, the Liberal Democrats. There are a number of other regional parties, um, the Ulster Union Party in Northern Ireland, uh, you have uh, I don't know how to pronounce it, but like Plaid Sirmu, which is the Welsh party, you have the Scottish National Party. It's less surprising that when you have these regions that have a different national identity, you're going to have these regional parties come up. Uh, but just the fact that the Liberal Democrats are there is kind of surprising. However, the UK looks a little bit more like a two-party system often because England is so big and the uh, Conservatives and Labour tend to do so well that you often have a straight-up majority government by a single party. So it often runs a lot more like a two-party system than a coalition-based parliamentary system. Uh, the last country we're going to look at that I think is really fascinating is Ireland. So Ireland does things dramatically differently from the United States, and it means that it gets some really radically different results. So on the executive side, they have a fairly weak president, uh, which is something that you know we've seen in, in a number of these systems. And they're elected by what's called either single transferable vote or instant runoff vote or ranked choice voting. All of these are the same things with many different names. And what this system means is that you have a list of people that are running. And instead of just checking the one that you want most, you rank them in order. So one, two, three, four, five, all the way down as far as you want. And what that means is that if there's not an outright majority, they count up all of the number one votes. And if there's not an outright majority, the person with the fewest number one votes, uh, their votes get split up such that they're the number two votes on those ballots get redistributed uh, to the other candidates. If there's still not a majority, they repeat until they have achieved a majority. Now, this is still this system can still be gamed. It can, there's still strategic voting that's involved. But what it means is that most of the time you can actually. Uh, put number one who you most want, number two who you want second. So for example, let's imagine you're a left winger in the United States and you like really like Jill Stein, but you really don't want Donald Trump to win. You can vote Jill Stein number one and Hillary Clinton number two and you know, and maybe not even vote for Donald Trump at all. Uh, and what that means is that even if Jill Stein loses, your vote then transfers to Hillary Clinton, at which point you have voted for the candidate you want without it being a half vote for the candidate you don't want. So since you're protected from the fact that 
you know, a vote from the third part for a third party is a quote throwaway vote. The incentives change. You're now able to vote for them with confidence, knowing that your vote will still be counted even if they lose. And so this uh, single transferable vote or STV system uh, is used by Ireland and a number of other places. And it means that third parties are much more viable, but it doesn't end there. Ireland has multi-member districts. So instead of, you know, in the United States, you have one district and you have one representative for that district. And what that means is when that person wins, the representation for your district is of that party, right? So if you're you know, a Republican and a Democrat wins your district, too bad for you, you don't really get anything out of it. You're sort of out of the game until the next election. But they have multiple members per district. In fact, three to five. And what that means is that let's say that, you know, the you're in a district where it's sort of pretty tight between the Republican and the Democrat. Well, in the United States, it would be like, oh, 49% of you, too bad. Uh, 51%, hooray, you won this time. Um, instead, what might happen is you might have like two Democrats and one Republican win so that the Democrats still have some representation. There's someone they can talk to that cares about what they want. Combined with the fact that single transferable vote means that you have um, you know, more incentives for third parties, it means that districts are often represented by multiple parties, more than two. In fact, there are some districts that are represented by five different parties. Uh, yeah. So at Northern Dublin, for example, there are five parties, five members of their parliament of five different parties. Um, there are others that are more strongly geared towards one party or another. Uh, so you have some districts where two or even three uh, people are of the same party because people really like that party. Uh, it happens to be the case right now in Ireland that uh, no district has representatives from only one party. So it means that a far larger number of people get represented and that far more parties are able to play the game. So right now you have something like uh, f three really large parties, a whole bunch of independents, and then uh, six other small parties uh, that you know form either permanent or, or you know sometimes for a certain vote temporary coalitions to be able to pass stuff through. Uh, now, my girlfriend's Irish, and she'll tell you that it's not a magical utopian paradise, um, but what, what like the, the Irish people I've talked to believe that you know they're they're big fans of their system because it does mean that um, you know you can have more fluid changes in party composition and that you have you know whatever district you're in you're more likely to be represented in Parliament than you are if you only had a single representative for your district. So, with some somewhat comparable countries analyzed in terms of their similarities and differences, many have asked us, how could the United States become a more more of a multi-party country? I mean, it, it already is a multi-party country, but not really, right, in terms of probability of being elected. So the question then is, how could this change be affected? And not proposing that it should be affected, Again, just different ways that some sort of change could be implemented if someone thought it was, you know, appropriate. So really one thing that would probably need to happen would be to change the voting process. For example, we've talked on the show about a ranked choice voting 
which instead of winner take all, you vote for one person or the other. You can rank one through whatever who you think sh should get your vote in that order, and that provides for the opportunity, game theory-wise, for more parties to get in. And that's probably the easiest change to make. So it's something that you can actually change about your state's constitution. So in the United States, the states actually have power to decide how they determine uh, how people or how they will elect their representatives in the districts. This is one of the reasons gerrymandering is a thing because state assemblies will change district lines in order to get their own people elected to Congress. Uh, Maine actually in 2016 voted in a referendum to switch their congressional election system to ranked choice voting. So they're, I think they have two representatives in Maine. So both of them, by this referendum, would be elected by ranked choice voting, uh, which would mean that Maine would be far more likely to field third-party candidates because the incentives would change. Now, it happens to be the case that the Maine Supreme Court uh, has overturned this because they said it violates a particular part of Maine's specific constitution, but the fight is still within the state. So this change could happen state by state, um, starting in the states that are more prone to wanting to have third parties represent them. So that's one way we could go about it. Another is immediate runoff, which is basically how France does it. You have two rounds, so you sort of... Uh, winnow down the uh, the candidate pool in the first round and then have a final vote in the second. And the other is single transferable vote. These are, like Eric said, things that could potentially be affected at a state level. And, you know, state-level referendums are not easy to pass, but they're certainly possible. I mean, if you live in California, we've been plagued with referendums over the last several years, and yeah. a lot of these are just, you know, funded by individuals or managed by individuals and funded by a relatively small pool of people. So that sort of change is actually possible. There are some other changes that could happen but would be much harder because they would require a change to the United States Constitution, uh, which is notoriously difficult to change. It's in fact one of the, it might be the hardest to amend in the world, but it's pretty darn close up there. So one of them is we could switch to Irish-style multi-member districts. So if you wanted to go the way of Ireland, we'd have to get a full-on constitutional change to the first article. Uh, and then the other one is there's actually a movement to switch the United States to a parliamentary uh, proportional list style, where instead of voting for a single representative, the whole nation votes uh, for a list and the proportion of those votes uh, lead to the proportional representation in Congress. Uh, this would be like one half of Germany's votes. Um, so that would have to happen through the through an amendment of the U.S. Constitution as well. So both of those are much tougher, although they're different ways that, you know, the country could take it. Like if everyone got up and said like, hey, we're here, we're going to decide what we're going to do. Um, all of those are options to change the U.S. system to be friendlier to third parties. The only other way we can imagine of a third party arising in the United States is uh, if, a, if a regional party happened to form. And so a good example is, uh, you know, the Scottish National Party or in the case of Canada, Black Quebecois, right? So because there's a, a 
Quebecois independence movement. People just vote for Bloc Quebecois, but they never end up being in the government. So unless there was some sort of really strong regional thing where everyone in a district felt really strongly about one way due to them being in that particular place, it's unlikely that a regional party would arise. So that's probably the least likely way by which the United States would become a multi-party system. What does a multi-party United States look like? Well, in 2016, we saw both the Democrats and the Republicans highly divided. It was no longer exclusively left versus right, but establishment versus status quo within both parties. And to a degree, you saw a lot of agreement between, uh, sorry, not establishment v. status quo, anti-establishment versus status quo. You saw a lot of agreement even across party lines along the anti-establishment front. There were a lot of people who ended up voting for Trump who said they would have been happy voting for Bernie Sanders. Not a lot the other way around necessarily, but there certainly is a greater anti-establishment vein. Now, when two parties become, or two Amer- the two American parties, because there's usually two at a time, When both of these parties become sufficiently divided, this creates the opportunity to form new coalitions not defined by existing parties. This has happened before in the past. The South used to vote almost exclusively Democratic, but this sort of changed mid-century in the 1960s with the Civil Rights Movement, and a new coalition was formed where social conservatives that were formerly Democrats became Republicans. So that, that was a new coalition as of 50, 60 years ago. We did a show on not this particular shift, but how new coalitions form and what some of the mechanisms politicians can use to guide that process. It was um, our show on Podemos, the Spanish political party. We did it with our guest uh, Enrique Fonseca from Visual Politique. He goes by Fonseca because that's a cool name. And um, he actually used to work for a Spanish political party in their campaign. So he's very familiar with the processes that are, or the techniques, I think is a better word, the techniques being used by these different leaders to try to break off one section of each existing pool to form these new coalitions. Very interesting show. Fonseca has a lot of cool stuff to say about it. Go check it out. So we can imagine the 2016 U.S. election Um, if there were multiple parties that were running rather than just two, right? So the Republicans, really, their their mainstream establishment hated Trump. And in fact, most Republicans uh, didn't vote for Trump right up till the end when he was already the clear victor and really the enthusiasm for anyone else had waned, which is a weird thing about how we do the presidential primary all spread out. But all that aside, Trump wasn't actually particularly popular within the Republican Party. And there was an anyone but Trump movement or a never Trump movement going on within the Republicans, which is something that had kind of never happened before for a party that you go, this this person is running is totally unacceptable. We'll take anyone else. Uh, But he won anyway. And so a lot of Republicans that didn't like him were stuck with him. Uh, This similarly happened in the the Democrat side, right, where. You know, there were a lot of a lot of the supporters of Bernie Sanders believed Hillary Clinton was deeply corrupt, that she just represented, you know, muddied interests, that that, you know, she was really terrible and, and unacceptable as a candidate. Right. And they fought to the bitter end to try to get Bernie Sanders nominated instead of her. You had these deep internal fissures that showed that, you know, these parties aren't really united blocks. 
Now, what happened, of course, is that once they went to the um, election, there was a there was a some semblance of unity about, well, oh, God, I don't like our person, but at least it's not that other one, you know. So we we better we better buck up and good on put on a good face, stiff upper lip, all that, and and be supportive of our candidate. Um, and that happened, but it was awkward. And uh, you know, and and really in this election in particular, because the two parties were so divided, nobody was going to be really all that happy with the outcome. Um, and the, for most people, it's just different flavors of bad. Now, let's imagine instead that there were many parties to choose from. Someone like Donald Trump could run in a party that's very, you know, it's very like America first, anti-immigrant, anti-trade, which are things that are like weird for a lot of Republicans, right? A lot of Republicans really like having uh, immigrants come into work because they think it's good for the economy. They like global trade. Um, you know, they have different views on foreign policy. So you could actually see what we think of as this right wing split into two groups. And so Donald Trump would represent this more anti-immigrant, anti-trade, more closed America approach. You could have a different set of Republicans representing the more business style Republicans who are, you know, pro-immigration, pro-trade. Same with the Democrats, right? You could have had a, a party that represented the people who you know, believed in sort of a, the market system we have, in incremental change, um, in sort of a moderate approach. And then you could have had the social Democrats or the progressives, whatever you'd want to call them, who were looking for a more radical uh, reshaping of kind of the social institute, you know, the social contract in the United States and the institutions that we use for that, like healthcare. And so you could have instead had four parties where there were four different homes for these people. You could have had, in fact, Bernie versus Hillary versus uh, Donald versus, I don't know, John Kasich, Marco Rubio, Jeb Bush, who knows who it would have been for these business Republicans. But they would have all been facing off in the same election. Let's say it was instant runoff. Um, what, you know, something weird may have happened. I can't predict what would have, but what it meant was that in on election day, if you were a, a Bernie fan or a Gary Johnson fan or a John Kasich fan, you weren't going to be stuck voting for either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, which, again, most Americans didn't like. Um, it would have meant that there would have been options for you to vote number one for someone else. Um, and if you'd counted up all the votes, we may have had a different outcome. Similarly, in Congress, um, it's harder to speculate exactly how it would go here because the personalities are, are so important. Um, but if you look deeply into the Republican and Democratic parties, and again, I, I encourage you to see uh, the Pew's political topography, you see that people disagree so much and that, you know, a Massachusetts Republican and an Alabama Republican disagree on so much that it almost doesn't make sense in a lot of ways that they're part of the same party with the same platform. So, uh, you'd imagine that if there was a way to have more parties in the United States, if we changed how we voted, we probably would have more parties and people would fit into new and different homes from what we're accustomed to. So that's our review of political structures, voting structures in different countries, Western countries. Hope it was helpful. Hope you walk away with a few new thoughts that will percolate around in your head and give you something to chew on for a while. With that, remember, don't let the pundits do the thinking for you. Pause and reconsider. This is Andrew signing off. And this is Eric signing off. We'll see you next time.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.